Welcome to the Intentional Encourager podcast, where each episode brings you compelling conversations and stories designed to entertain, enlighten, and encourage. And now here's your host, Brian Sexton. And welcome into a special edition of the Intentional Encourager podcast. I'm your host, Brian Sexton. Thank you for joining us again today. Two of my favorite guys on the planet are with me. They are the co-hosts of the Lead, Sell, Grow podcast. If you're not subscribed to that podcast, get subscribed to it. I intentionally encourage you to get subscribed to the Lead, Sell, Grow podcast. If, if you're an entrepreneur, a salesperson, if, if you, you want to start a business, Eric and Harry have great conversations with incredible people that'll help you do that. And it's an honor to welcome my friends. They're not my guests, they're my friends. Eric Conavalov, Harry Spate, join me today on the Intentional Encourager podcast. Guys, how you doing? Man, what a great intro. Thanks, B. Thanks for having us. I've got the chills, man. What a, what a great, exactly, great introduction. Well, Mr. I've got Energy, chills, too, Mr. because Mr. I'm sitting under, well, I've got chills, too, Harry, but it's because I'm sitting under a ceiling fan. So, I mean, it's, yeah. you know. But listen, <laughs> you know, I have I have referred to him. So if you hear me call Eric EK for Eric, Con I, I'm going to do that just because it's the way I would talk to him if we were talking on the phone or texting with each other. And so um, these guys are tremendous friends of mine, and and I want them to become tremendous friends of yours too. So let's start here, guys. We are now seeing salespeople come out of 2020. And, and kind of think to themselves, kind of wiping the brow going, oh, man, glad that's over. We get to 2021. Now we're into August as we record this. And now there's there's coming some uncertainty back into the marketplace. What are you guys seeing and hearing from your guests around some of the strategies that they're using to keep themselves and their heads above water? And, and um, Harry, let's, I'll start with you, and then we'll, we'll go to Eric, and, and I'll kind of bounce it that way. But what are you seeing and hearing out there in the marketplace, Harry? Uh, great question to start us off, Brian. So uh, I, I'm seeing a lot of, uh, pardon my French, but screw COVID mindsets that uh, people are down here in Florida anyway. We're way, you know, we're way different than much of the country. Uh, a lot of things are open. I mean, everything is open and people in general are just uh, driving the U.S. economy. It's a strong economic engine. Um, a lot of companies are doing very well. I mean, sure, some have suffered, some restaurants have suffered, but if, I mean, I live outside of Orlando, uh, you should see the theme parks and what's going on here. There's, there's a lot of, uh, you know, people are encouraged. I think, uh, you know, people are not necessarily listening to the media as much and, uh, you know, Florida has got a mind of its own and, you know, we're trying to get back to normal, whatever normal is as much as possible. Eric, what do you what, think, Eric? yeah, Eric, take the, take that same question and 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 add your flavor to it. Yeah, I think you know, talking to people in Maryland and DC and Northern Virginia, there is uncertainty. I actually, I was talking to someone in Ukraine today, and Ukraine got word that they're going to be shutting down again in a couple of weeks. So there's uncertainty. Absolutely. Besides Florida, where I am as well, <laughs> because like today, my kids went to school and as they're getting on the bus, the elementary school bus, there's about 30 kids lined up 
one kid is wearing a mask because because you know they're not prohibiting people down here from masks but it just goes to show you that florida is more open than anywhere else and if people want to wear masks wear masks if they don't they don't and businesses right. are open but everywhere else yeah i mean the reality is that some businesses who said give us a call after labor day are now changing that tune right they had a plan to be back and now this new strain of covid is in they don't know if they're coming back they don't know if how long they're going to stay remote if there's going to be shutdowns anymore so that's a that's a real concern Eric, I want to bounce this question to you. You've had a successful career coaching salespeople, and, and your book, B2B Sales, is right there. I'm, I love that book. It's chocked full of, of great information for folks in the sales space. How do you coach a salesperson and keep a salesperson encouraged through times of uncertainty? Because salespeople naturally go through it when the market is doing weird things or when competition is coming at them full force, but this is an unknown competitor, so to speak. It's causing people to do things they've not normally done before. How do you coach salespeople through this particular time of uncertainty when the competitor is unseen? Well, the competitor, the competitor is fear, right? The comp the competitor is uncertainty. The competitor is I think very real and that competitor is always around even, you know, today it's called COVID, but before, you know, uh, that competitor has always been there. I don't know what my competition is going to be doing. Like companies are always afraid companies always, a lot of companies always don't know what their next step is. I think for salespeople to stay encouraged, the ones that are going to do really, really well are the ones that are going to stop thinking about themselves and start really trying to get into their clients or, or ideal customer shoes and, and thinking through, well, what's on their mind? What fears are they having? And, and coming up with solutions for them, right? What can I do to help them through get through this uncertain time? And those are the salespeople that are going to thrive. Like, look at Jeb Blunt, right? I mean, that whole the whole crew from Outbound, those guys are awesome. Mike Weinberg, um, Jeb Blunt. I, the reason why I brought Jeb up is because I bet before COVID, he did not have, have the idea to write the book on virtual selling. <laughs> I haven't talked to him, but I'm guessing he did not have that idea. And with the challenge, he thought through it. Probably, I haven't read the book, but I see it, you know, advertised in a lot of places. He thought through it. He knows that his client base are salespeople, and these salespeople just got virtual. Yeah. What did he do? He wrote a book a textbook on how to sell virtually. And that's what we all have to do. Put yourselves in the client's shoes and think about how can you help them stay in business and you'll be successful. No, I love it. Harry, Harry, take that, that, what, what do you got on your mind around that? Well, I mean, so the, the, the podcast we do lead, sell, grow. We had a young man on a few weeks ago. Um, whose name escapes me, but he was, he's a musician out of university of Miami. Uh, Eric, you remember the name? <laughs> don't put me on the spot like that. Okay. Great. Okay. I saw you chuckling. <laughs> hey guys, don't guest. feel bad. I don't I'm remember like, I every guest I've it. had either. So no, I can describe him as a handsome young man, 27 years old, went to university of Miami is a child prodigy musician, plays the blues. 
And he started a business right before COVID, which was calling on hotels and organizing, setting up their uh, live music. And from that, he also started calling on, because he developed an outbound sales calling organization, he started working with businesses as well. So one of the things that he said is right now it's a clean slate. And when he was going through, you know, for Florida, it was about a three month period of going through COVID, but he says, no, I'm going to help build relationships during this time. And who knew it was only going to be three months before a lot of us were back in the saddle. Um, but, you know, as Eric mentioned, looking around across the country, you know, again, every state's going to be different. Maybe every county is going to be different. Um, but so you, people have to look at, is it, is there an opportunity to grow relationships or is there an opportunity to close business, right? But the last thing we can do is make excuses. If we go in with a nobody's buying mentality, guess what? Nobody's buying from you, right? Or if everyone's worried about COVID, then everyone you're contacting is worried about COVID. I mean, the percentages of people, I look at it and say, I mean, we're pretty much a divided country. Can I bring that up? Sure, you bring it up. Yeah. Okay. We, we're so, free to talk about anything we want to talk about. Okay. So, yeah. Great. All right. So that means 50% of the people out there have moved on. I yeah. mean, they are, I mean, they're ready to rock and roll with uh, driving the economy. I mean, Harry, I, I got I to jump in here. Okay. You, sure. you have said something really profound there about the way our country is now. How do we as salespeople, how do salespeople keep themselves from dividing against their customer? Because the company has, you know, if, if a company is saying, hey, you need to do this differently because of cost or we, we're trying to scale back or we're trying to do something differently to, to keep our service levels where we need them to be, but we can't do this anymore. We can't do that anymore. Um, and here, here's where I'm going with this. We've always done free shipping on X amount of dollars bought. However, because of shipping costs going up, because of things like that, we need a higher dollar amount to offer free shipping or things like that. I'm just throwing that out there. How do, how do salespeople keep themselves internally grounded and keeping with that same thought that you just mentioned about not making excuses and keeping themselves grounded internally when there's pressure and division coming from the outside that they have to kind of manage around with their customers. Am I making sense with that? With yeah, that absolutely. Question? I mean, uh, I'll go first, but I mean, I look at, you know, I'm older and I look at, you know, trends throughout, you know, my lifetime. And there have been always, you know, in the late seventies, early eighties, there was a serious economic downturn. There was another economic downturn in 1987, and then there was another economic downturn in 2001, and then again in 2008. You know, we go through these periods, and it's just like you have to ride the waves. And sometimes you just have to explain to your clients that, hey, things change. And, yeah. you know, you just mentioned 1987, 1979, when people were in line for getting gasoline, the cost of shipping and you know, those things clearly had to go up. Gross and Harry, I'm up. sure every customer would love to go back to 1979 pricing on items and things like that. I mean, could you imagine if you rolled out pricing to your customer and you said, hey, man, we're rolling this back to 1979 <laughs> pricing. 
Wouldn't that be a dream for a and, gallon and, of gas is like what right. 70 cents, I think. Right. And and so EK, I want to I want to throw that to you because when and, and in full disclosure, when I was writing people buy from people, Eric was such a resource for me. And one of the things that you told me I'll never forget. And I mentioned this on your guys' podcast. I'm going to mention it here. I was telling Eric one day, man, I'm feeling this. I'm feeling that. I don't feel like this is possible. And Eric told me something. He said, B, there is no comfort in the growth zone, but there's no growth in the comfort zone. So something to that effect. And, and it's to Harry's point about excuses. How do salespeople stop making internal excuses that tend to come out as external excuses when they're in front of the customer? Well, I think like I was listening to how you were describing your question to Harry, right? You said when there's these uh, external pressures and external, what other word did you use? You used pressure and another word. I, th I think I said external forces, maybe. External forces and external pressures, right? Yeah. So I don't, you can choose to view it that way, right? So if you choose to view it in a way that it's external pressure and external forces, you're going to act in a certain way. But if you choose to view it as this is what's going on right now, how do I adapt? How do I overcome? What what creative ways can I come up with? Um, you know, you're gonna you're gonna act differently, right? So what happens happens. It's how we react to what happens that's going to either make us or break us. So in sales, look, I don't think it serves us to view anything as pressures or forces or any crap that's going to kind of make you look at the outside world negatively. Uh, a customer who, who can't afford something today and wants to reduce their prices, you just got to have a conversation with them. And maybe ask them the way I would handle it. That doesn't mean you have to run and reduce your prices. Yeah. It's literally having, if you've, if you've done the legwork up front and you've built that rapport and that relationship, you should be able to go to your client. If you're a true salesperson and not just an order taker, that's going to take everything for cheap, cheap, cheap. You go sit down with them. You say, Hey, John or Melissa, here's, here's what's happening. I know we're, we're doing this for deliveries for free. Yeah. Prices for gas went up. Labor is short. Everything, all the, all our costs have gone up. How do you think? So here's, here's what I'm being asked to do. And I'm being asked to increase our pricing. What, and, and, and by the way, you need to reduce your costs. What, what do you think we should do? Yeah. And hear what she's going to say, or he's going to say. Because they might say, yeah, yeah, oh, that makes total sense. No, you know what? Don't worry about it. I don't mind spending the extra $15 per month or per shipment or whatever. Or they might say, look, we just can't do it, right? And then you handle it. But we have to be able to have those conversations and co-author that solution. EK, I love that because as a rookie salesperson myself, when I was in the food business, and I'm going back to 97, 98, in the 99 so oh, well over 20 years ago, my way of fighting off my competition was doing exactly what you described. Oh, you need a lower price? Okay, I'm going to keep my competition at bay. I'm going to lower my price. Here's what I was doing. 
I was committing death by a thousand cuts because I was getting paid on gross profit on that order. And so every time I would reduce a price, I was, I was killing my own profit margin and I was killing my own commission because I didn't have a good way to, to handle my competition instead of saying, Hey, you know what? If you change that product, you might affect those customers coming into the restaurant. Do you ever think that your customers are coming in and buying that product, expect a certain level of quality? I mean, you could probably save money. I, I wouldn't, I didn't do what I, I'm doing now. And then later when, when I joined another company, I was more seasoned when somebody would come to me and they would say, well, hey, we need to cut costs. Hey, you know what? Everybody needs to cut costs. I totally understand that. What other things can we look at though, besides reducing your price? that can help you reduce those costs. Would you like for me to come in and do an inventory assessment for you? Won't cost you anything. Would you like for me to come in and do a labor assessment for you? Won't cost you anything. Hey, maybe we can look at other things that, that you can do. Maybe we have some equal to products that you can save some money on that you won't compromise quality. I, I felt like, and Eric, when you were talking about that, I, that's what was going on in my head. I was going down memory lane because I wasn't prepared to handle the adversity from the outside. Harry, I want to bounce this to you. You were talking about some of the things we've dealt with over the years and things like that. In your career, when you've, when you've had those things come, when competitors have come hard at you, and Eric, I want to ask you the same thing. Let's talk about competitors for a minute. When you've had those competitors that came hard against you, and try to attack you in one area. How are you successful in counterattacking them in, in other areas? Uh, well, these, these are great questions, Brian. I just wanted to go back. Uh, yeah, please do. Please go ahead. Second. Take take the conversation. Absolutely. Um, so when yeah, you, why don't you act like this is your podcast, Harry? Take the conversation. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm not worried about it. I love yeah. it, man. I ask the questions here. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Hey, Harry's right, like you our, interview us. Your turn. Go. Yeah, <laughs> Harry's like our Obi Wan Kenobi, Eric. I mean, yeah, we, I we, yeah. we yield I to the Jedi Master. Far, but yeah, uh, Brian's like, hey, can you answer this question? Harry's like, nah, I got my own questions. I'm gonna. Answer. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I love getting together with these guys. Yeah. No, Harry, go with what you feel, man. Go, go. Yeah, because you you brought up a good point. So, like when you said when you're younger, and you were faced with questions that threw you off, and then you did your uh, death by a thousand cuts by dropping price because you got paid on profit. Well, you know, the same is true today. We should be well prepared for those questions. I mean, it's not, you know, <laughs> it's not a stroke of genius that someone's going to ask us to reduce our price. So we should be prepared ahead of time, knowing that our clients are going to say that so that we're not deer, uh, like the deer in the headlights looking the, like the first time we've ever heard it. And we have to be, uh, you know, I like what you said is like, uh, you know, help me. I mean, I'm happy to help out. You know, a lot, a lot of people are facing the same challenges today. I'm happy to assist, you know, is there other areas where we can look at too, right? So now you're getting the client involved and they're starting to think about other ways. And then you're now showing your value. Yeah. Right. So your value is more than just being the, the person that's selling the green beans. Um, you know, you're the person that's now consulting with what they have in inventory and you can save them, you know, hundreds and thousands of dollars and make good decisions. 
what's that worth, right? Yeah. So yeah. that's where the real value comes in. And I, I just wanted to uh, continue that conversation. I know you asked me something, but- No, I love uh, it. I love it because yeah. again, I, I think it speaks to where experience takes us as salespeople, right? It, it's it's about growing. It, it is, and we're all, we're all sports fans, guys that have been in the league two years, when you're in the league five or 10 years, whether you're, you know, it's football, basketball, baseball, you should be a better player five years in than you were a year or two years in, right? I mean, the growth that you should have, you should be a better performer five years in. Now, barring any kind of catastrophic injury, right? If you tear well, up a well, knee, if, things like I that. Can I interrupt? Yeah. On please. that, because what you just said is what a lot of people think. But there is a great quote from some brilliant person. I forgot who it was. But they said you could have 30 years experience or one year experience repeated 30 times. So uh, what that means is that just because you're in business, just because you're in sales does not mean that you automatically improve with time. So the whole thing, so like Eric, I'm looking at his book, B2B Sales Secrets. I know yeah. yours, people buy from people. You know, the idea of- Your book, Selling with work, Dignity. Don't forget yeah, your book. Yeah, Selling with Dignity, right? Thank yeah. you. Uh, but the idea of just showing up and thinking that you're improving, it doesn't happen. I mean, I know people in sales who have been around forever and I shake my head. It's like, you're telling a client that you need to make a living? I mean, they don't care. Right. So, I mean, we have to develop the skills, right. Which takes time. And then, you know, listening to you is that you understood early on yeah. that you had to have a much better answer for your sustainability, right. For your longevity in the career. Yeah. Makes sense. E e yeah. It makes perfect sense. EK, I got to ask you this when you're coaching, when you're coaching salespeople, no matter the experience level and things like that, What's the one flaw that you continue to find that's kind of universal among salespeople? Is it, is it kind of relying on price? Is there one thing that when you're coaching people, you see it in this person, you see it in that person, and you're like, I got to correct that, and then I can get them to where we need to get them to go? Yeah, it's always, uh, like, I hate to use the word always, but it just happens that the people, the, the sales pros that I speak with, most of them really have no idea why their client should do business with them. They haven't defined the client. They, ha they don't understand their client's problems. They don't understand how specifically their solution can help their client. And they don't take the time to research. So, the, you know, like Zig said, you're a wondering generality at that point. And what I've learned yeah. is the salespeople who are, who are way more effective, they're the meaningful specifics. They're the ones that know that, hey, you know, I, I often use this, um, you know, my military background, I often use the analogy of why would you use Navy SEALs instead of a Marine Corps, uh, you know, platoon? So why did they use Navy SEALs to go after bin Laden? Or why did they use Navy SEALs to go and shoot uh, the pirates from a ship? Why didn't they just spray it, right, with a bunch of guns? And it's because 
when it's a valuable target, you have to do your research. You got to really understand um, the risks associated with you. you have to plan, you have to train. And so really good salespeople are like snipers, you know, they're going to, they're going to be very patient. They understand who their target is. They know their targets movement. They know what that guy's going to be doing on Thursday. And at what time before that guy's wife knows what he's going to be doing and what time they know when and where to get them they've studied. So then it's just a a matter of pulling the trigger versus a Marine Corps platoon. They'll just wreck stuff, right? I mean, you, you line up 15 Marines outside of a bad guy's house. They're running in, throwing grenades, spraying, like nobody's coming out alive. Well, what's the, what's the big thing about war? You know, the, the, the whole tone of war has been to kill people and break things. Right. And and so, yeah, you, you just not, you have a plan and you're like, okay, Uh, I think we're going to take out the enemy this way. And you just start spraying the crowd with nukes, right? I mean, to your point, but Eric, what I was thinking about when you were talking about that was when you came on my podcast, I remember you telling me about how you were as a teenager and you were telling me, you know, B, I I had no discipline. I had no, I I was just a hot mess. And, and I walked into a, a recruiter trying to get my life in order. And I'm thinking that there might be some salespeople watching that say, you know what, man, I don't, I'm in chaos right now. I'm kind of a hot mess from a salesperson standpoint. I love everything. What you guys are saying. I love connection. I love, you know, meeting customers and what they're doing, but man, I don't know how to figure it out. What would you tell that person if they were sitting across the table from you and they, they said that to you. Um, and, and again, man, I love that story you shared with, with me, go back and listen to Eric's podcast on the intentional encourager podcast. What would you say to that person sitting across the table from you? Well, I'm big on getting people to come up with their own answers, right? I really believe that all the, the wisdom in the world is within each one of us. And so instead of saying anything, I would ask them just, what do you want? If you could design or describe your ideal sales, you know, sales career or sales scenario over the next 12 months, what does that look like? And the reason why they're lost is because they really don't have a vision for that. They have no idea how much money they want to make. They have no idea who they want to sell to. They have no idea how they're selling. They have no idea how they're fixing any problems or what the problems are or who their client is. So of course you're going to be lost. So just like the arrow, I know Les Brown has this awesome quote, right? He does this analogy like, hey, an arrow, you got to pull it back, pull it back, pull it back. And the further back you pull it, when you let it go, it goes flying. I would recommend them to just pull it back a little bit. Take a day off. Take a day off to plan. Take a day off to visualize. Take a day off to think. What do you want? Because you have the power to create anything you want. As long as you have the blueprint, the problem is we never take the time to draw the blueprint. Wow. That is so cool. And and, and again, Eric, I I think you, you and Harry both, you got, what I love about you guys is the different places that you draw in your life and your experience, where you draw that from. And, and man, that, that's what I think is, is kind of your secret sauce is just the way you bring, you guys both bring things to the table. Let's step aside, take a break. When we come back, have more conversation with Eric Conavalov. Go find Eric's book, B2B Sales Secrets. 
We'll talk a little bit about Harry's book, Selling with Dignity, that's coming out very soon. It, we're, we're excited about Harry's book. This was a long time coming, and we're proud of our man, Harry Spate. Also, I encourage you to find their podcast, the Lead, Sell, Grow podcast. Eric Conabolov, Harry Spate, joining me on the Intentional Encourager podcast back in just a moment. Hey everybody, Brian Sexton here. I want to tell you about our sponsor, SEO National. SEO stands for Search Engine Optimization. Now, what's that, you might say? Well, Search Engine Optimization helps you show up higher on search engines in front of paying customers for words that you, as a business owner, can monetize. What a great concept. SEO National is owned by my good buddy, Damon Burton, who's been a guest here on the Intentional Encourager podcast. Not only has Damon and his team worked with businesses of all sizes, from e-commerce startups to NBA teams and Shark Tank-featured businesses, but more importantly, Damon and his team are about transparency, trust, and providing lifetime value. So much so that he still has his first customers after opening SEO National 14 years ago. Let me give you some intentional encouragement and call Damon and his team today at 855-736-6285 or go to www.seonational.com and get a free quote. Eric, you mentioned before the break about pulling things back a little bit. I love that. Because we can, as, as salespeople, as business people, as entrepreneurs, leaders, we tend to go, 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 go. Everything in our society is keep it moving. And, and I'll share this with you guys. I, I, I got a, a cold pitch email. I know your favorite things, cold pitch emails. Love but, those. Yeah, you love them. I, I know you do. But this, this guy was, he was like, the first thing he said was, I love your content with a green heart. Well, he had me at green heart. I, I, you know, being a Marshall fan, he had me with the green, but I reached out to him and I said, well, that's great. I'm always curious as to, to why people respond favorably to the content. What was it about the content that really prompted you? I, I wanted to get more specific. And when I pushed this person, they said back to me, Sorry that our con that that our, that my email didn't connect with you. Sales moves really fast these days. Totally missing the concept of connecting with people. How do how do salespeople get ahead of themselves? That's the question I want to ask you. Is how do salespeople get ahead of themselves with their clients, and how do they dial back? And pull things back a little bit, like you were talking about that great quote from Les Brown that that you that you shared with us. What do you mean by get ahead of themselves with their clients? Here's where I and, and, and I probably didn't ask that right. I'm glad you I'm glad you pushed back a little bit. Let me let me rephrase that a little bit. Well, I just want to make sure I answered and I didn't understand. No, no, no. You no, you're good, EK. You're good. A lot of times we see what the customer can do business-wise with us. We see the potential and think, okay, I've got to get from that, from where I am now to the potential of where the business could be instead of figuring out, as you talked about a little bit ago, what, what's the customer's position right now? Where are they right now? And I think a lot of salespeople, and I did this when I was a younger salesperson, 
And, and my dad always said to me, son, you can't eat potential because I would look at that customer and I go, well, they can buy, they can buy three grand a week from me, or they can buy four grand a week from me instead of looking at what they were buying right now. How do you keep people, how, how do you keep salespeople from getting ahead of themselves and trying to focus on what is or what could be instead of what is? Is that a better way to, to phrase that? Yeah, I think so. But I mean, I think as salespeople, we, I mean, you better be keeping your eye open for what it could be. I mean, look, because if you don't, some other visionary is going to come in and show it to your clients and they'll go with them. So I think one of the mistakes salespeople do, do is jump on what is, and that's not really consultative. That's not really doing anybody a favor. Now, they're, we're talking about two different things, right? One one way of looking at it is they could be spending 4000 a week with me instead of 1000 a week with me. And I would question, you know, hey, is that commission breath talking or is that really going to benefit your client? The other way to look at it is this client, let's say I'm selling managed IT services and I have a cybersecurity option. And I know that cybersecurity attacks are going insane right now. Um, I know this customer is barely spending, you know, 700 to 1500 bucks a month with my services. And I might be okay with that. And you're missing a boat by not protecting your potential client or your client. So it, it's your duty to go in and talk to them and say, listen, you have this, but there's, we got to educate you and, and share with you the risks that you have going on right now if you don't protect you know and buy the cyber solution or whatever however you do it um so there is no you know it's good to get ahead of yourself as long as it's in the benefit of your client i love that I, harry eric teed it up for us so i i want to i want to ask you this question and i love what eric said about commission breath because as I'm thinking back in my career, there were a lot of times I had commission breath and, and, it, and it stunk to the customer. I mean, it was not cool. So how do you, how do you keep from having commission breath when that's the, the, when in some companies, that's the ultimate measurement of performance, right? It's, it's how much commission are we generating? How much money are we making? How do you avoid, and I wanted to throw that to you, and Eric, I really appreciate you bringing that to, to light. I want to, I want to yield to the sage, to the sage here, our, our friend, Mr. Spate. How do you keep from, how, how do you not cover up commission breath? How do you eradicate emission, commission <laughs> breath? Yeah, I, you know, first of all, with what Eric said, I think is dead accurate going back. So I'll get back to the commission breath, but the idea that you're, you have a client that's spending X and they could spend Y um, and you're not talking to them, then you're not doing a good service for your client. Right? So what happens many for many salespeople is if the phone's not ringing or if they're not getting an email from the client, they think everything is smooth sailing. The reality is your client has issues. They're facing those issues on a daily basis and somebody else is calling them. 
And if you're not calling them, staying in front of them, they're going to listen to the person that hits a nerve when they're having the issue. So it's, it can be very random, but you know, if a client, for instance, gets hacked, if we go that route with ransomware and we think everything's smooth sailing, some other, someone else is calling the day or the day after they get hacked and they raise it, you know, they're going to say, well, what's your current vendor doing? Right. So, you know, the current vendor may just have been, you know, you know, doing whatever else, maybe they're, they're managing some small portion of it, but they're not doing the full job. And I think we in sales have to be constantly thinking about what's going on with our clients. Are we top of mind and are we offering ways to help them? Right. And well, for free, which yeah. goes ties into the commission breath. Right. So I love what you said earlier about being consultative with, you know, looking back at inventory. Yeah. Right? So those things build relationships, build trust. And, you know, in today's world, if you're, first of all, if you're thinking only about yourself, it's clear. I mean, nobody wants to deal with those types of people anymore. I mean, go to a car dealer, right? When you have five guys come out with you, my son worked in a car dealership. So I know the deal. It's like they've raced to get out to talk to the client customer first to see who could get the sale. So you have this competitive nature. It's all about the, you know, the company, not about the client and people, what have they done? You know, they're looking at places like Carvana and true car and however else they can get their cars online to avoid people. Well, if we're in sales, we got to look at that as a potential risk. Yeah. Right. So how do you protect yourself? is look, I've got to be value add and forget about the commission doing the right thing will lead to prosperity. Right. So, I mean, I had, I've had my moments, trust me. I'd like, I'd love to say I never had commission breath, but that'd be a bold faced lie uh, because there are opportunities that you just say, Oh, that's, that's a good one. I got to jump all over that. Yeah. And you get seen, right. People see through you. And you probably compromise and you say, and I still lost the deal. Yeah. Right. So, you know, just go back to doing what's best, which is take care of the client, take care of your prospects and good things will happen. Harry, I was a much better salesperson when I was proactively selling than reactively selling. I was so much better because when I was proactively selling, I, I could, I could, could take the customer on a journey with me and show them what could be instead of what was, especially if they were struggling and, and not getting to the levels that they wanted to get to. I was so much better when, when I was in control and, and was, was taking them on a journey instead of them going, Hey man, we got to talk because you're not doing what you need to do. And I was back on my heels. I was so much better as a proactive salesperson than a reactive salesperson. EK, I got to ask you this. Something came to mind when Harry was talking. What I love about your book is it's very simply written that, that people, when they pick it up, when they pick up B2B sales secrets, it, it, it's like you're sitting there across the table from them. And, and what I love about it, the concepts are not complicated. It's, it's blocking and tackling. 
it, 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 it is bobbing and weaving to use a boxing term. What do you, I, I want to ask you this. What do you, what do you think we need to get away from in sales that you're seeing that, that is like, oh my goodness, if we could get rid of this, salespeople as a whole would be so much better. Is there something that keeps coming up that we need to eradicate in the sales profession that, that would lift the, the old adage, a rising tide lifts all boats? What is that rising tide that needs to be eradicated so that all the boats lift? Assumptions. Expound on that a little bit. I want to. I want to hear. I want to hear. I want to hear wit, wit and wisdom from from Eric Conovalov on that. That that's beautiful. I love that. There's so many. It's at every level, B. It's at every freaking level. Talk to a young salesperson who spent one week in the bullpen with other salespeople who are professionals, and that young salesperson who's never made a freaking phone call will try to convince you that cold calling doesn't work because somebody told them, oh, cold calling doesn't work. So they assume they're right. You have that. It's typically those guys, those one-year guys that have 30 years of one-year experience <laughs> or, yeah, 30 years of the same experience, you know, like Harry described. If you listen to them, come back from an appointment and you ask them, Hey, how did that go? They'll, they always say, Oh, they loved me. And if, I mean, I highly doubt that, that their potential client, like Harry's cracking up right now, I highly doubt their potential client before they left was like, I love you. <laughs> they assumed they love them. Uh, oh yeah. This solution is def definitely what the client wants. And then they don't get the deal. Well, what happened? Oh, what had happened was that, you know, the competitor came in, the boss is a jerk. This guy's an asshole. They weren't serious. They have 15,000 excuses, but the problem was they assumed they never had the conversation. They never said, Hey, do you like me? They never said, Hey, uh, well, I know you, Mr. 30 years experience think cold calling doesn't work, but why don't I try this out for myself and see if I could maybe prove you right or prove you wrong, but let me find out for myself. They've never handed a proposal and said, Hey, what are our chances? What do you think of this? What would, what should I change? What should I improve? What, what did you expect? And by the way, if you're given a proposal with those types of questions, you've assumed before you gave the freaking proposal. See, in my book, I talk about this concept of the waitress technique. It came to me no shit. This is true. Can I say shit on your podcast? Because I no, said I think you I just, just did. I think twice. you just did. But but, <laughs> okay. but go but go ahead. I love you anyway. You know, go I ahead. Was, I'm pumped. I am pumped. This is I what know I you are. You're in your zone right, right. now. So I'm, I'm going to get out of the way. Stop interrupting me, Brian. I know, All right? right? Hey, everybody. Brian Sexton. Want to tell you about my new book, People Buy from People. 10 Powerful People Lessons from the Ultimate People Person, my dad. My dad was one of the greatest connectors that I ever knew. And he shared with me 10 connecting principles that I have used throughout my 25-year sales and sales management, customer engagement, and leadership career that I'm passing along to you. If you want to be a stronger, 
deeper and more powerful connector. You've got to pick up a copy of People Buy From People. There are concepts in there that you may not realize help make you a power connector. You can go to Amazon and pick it up. Kindle, if you're an e-reader and you like to do it that way, or now available on Audible. And there's one other way you can get a copy of People Buy From People. You can get one from me and I'll sign it for you. You go to intentionalmediaandpublishing at gmail.com and send me an email and I'll share with you the link on how you can get a signed copy. You can buy a signed copy directly from me. Again, people buy from people. If you want to connect like never before, pick up your copy today of People Buy From People. And now let's get back to more great conversation here on the Intentional Encourager podcast. So, so I was I was working for an outsourcing company, like on-site outsourcing services, and I knew I had the deal. The deal was with Brookings Institute, Harry, in, in DC. I had the connection. I had, I mean, this deal was a couple hundred thousand dollars, like it was an RFP. But I, I built the rapport. I built the relationships. I was doing so well with them. I knew it. The guy, we, we uh, submitted the RFP or something. I can't remember the timeline. But it went to the, to the committee that's doing an RFP. And they had a change. The woman sent an email specifically to each respondent. And she kept everybody off the list. So she sent it individually to people. This woman was not involved before. But the email that she sent was an amendment that needed to be made. I never responded to that amendment. Okay. I just freaking assumed. Um, I just assumed that, you know, my proposal was good enough and I just submitted it. So time goes by. Somebody else won that deal. I'm having a conversation. Anytime I lost a deal, I had a habit to, to go back to the people that I worked with. If I had the chance to build the relationship and I would sit down, I'd say, Hey, what happened? And they would, um, a lot of times tell me what happened. So the guy said, you totally missed the boat. I'm like, what are you talking about? He said, well, we sent the amendment out and, uh, you never responded. So that was, just, you know, we, what happened was she misspelled my name with a name like Konovalo. It didn't get to me, whatever, whatever, right? The no blames email didn't get to me. Later that evening, I was sitting down at a restaurant with a group of friends. And I noticed the waitress went one by one. And after she got everybody's order, she stopped and she repeated the order. She's like, is this what you want? Is this what you want? You know, you're getting this, you're getting this. You're getting... And everybody at the table said yes or no, or change this or change that. Like we, we're familiar with that concept, right? If you're at a restaurant tonight and you're in a group, good, good waiter or a good waitress is going to go ahead and repeat that order. Yeah. And a lot of salespeople don't do that. And what she did was she validated and we missed that meeting. Like if I would have, before submitting the proposal, I know this was an RFP, but if I would have just taken my time to go back and say, hey, before I submit this, is this everything you guys want? Because I had that relationship with the person. I probably could have caught, like the, there could have been something I could have done. Like, no, change this, change that. And I could have went back, changed it and submitted it. But assuming that everything was the way it was, even though there may not have been a change in time, I submitted it. And so... From that point on, I've never given a proposal 
without the client first telling me that the solution is exactly what we talked about and it's going to fix their problems. Well, it's good listening. Eric, what you were talking about, and, and I love that story, it, it, it's beautiful. And it's a great reminder of what happens when we don't listen to the customer. We, when we, we, think, we as salespeople feel like, I did everything I needed to do. Now it's time to, to cash in. Now it's time for me to, to get what's mine. I did, I did the work. I put in the work. And, and I love that. It reminded me. I, I tell you what it reminded me of too, Eric. It reminded me of a kid that is all world playing Madden. Just, I mean, probably an eSports kind of kid just blows up the competition and then decides that he should be the offensive coordinator for your Baltimore Ravens because I kill it on Madden. I do all this stuff virtually. So I know enough about the Baltimore offense that I should be calling plays for the Ravens. And we don't, we, we over assume that what, what we've built is always going to be good enough. And it's like, son, that is a whole different league than what you're used to. You may be great at a video game, but are you going to get the ball from Lamar Jackson's hand into Mark Andrews's hands when a defense is when an NFL defense is rushing at him? Like you can do it on a video game, but how can you do it in the real world? And I love what you said. If I would have just stepped back and thought, for just a minute that maybe I should have circled back because I think a lot of times we feel like it's done. I'm good. I, I, it's easy piece of cake. And we realize we miss the little things or we, we over are overconfident in ourselves. I, Eric, I got to ask a follow-up question. I'm going to come to Harry in that moment. What was your coaching to yourself in that moment? How did you encourage yourself through that? Because that was a huge deal. You put a lot of blood, sweat, and tears into that. How did you encourage yourself through it? I mean, I learned, right? I mean, I learned that, hey, this is never, ever give a proposal without them agreeing to it and saying that everything is there. But look, I don't really... It's one deal. Like, what are you, what are you going to coach yourself through? The, the key is to have more deals in the pipeline. You know, you're going to lose some, you're going to win some, and that's sales. Like, I, I move on very, very quickly because beating yourself up, you can't do anything from a, anything positive from a low space, from a low place. So beating yourself up for losing a deal is never, ever, ever going to help you do anything. So don't. Learn from it. Step, take a step back. Hey, where, what did I miss? Know why you missed it. And along the way, hey, that's how you build that experience, right? Um, that's how you can say I have 30 years of experience in sales. I remember this brought me back, dude. I remember my first uh, copier sales job. Um, I was cocky just out of the Marine Corps, and I was surprisingly doing really, really well. I had this woman in our showroom for a... Um, for, for a demo. And she's like, well, what's the difference between your model and the Rico model or whatever other model? I said, well, ours is like a Mercedes 
and oh, theirs is like a Hyundai, right? I was slick. <laughs> never heard my that stupid one. ass. I never looked out the window to see that she drove a Hyundai. <laughs> and she pulled out the Hyundai keys and she says, Well, I really don't need a Mercedes ah. in my copier. <laughs> Dude, I've never forgot that. I never forgot that. I could have beat myself up for, you know, however long. That wouldn't have done me any good. I laughed it off. I don't even remember today if I won or lost that deal or what. I I couldn't tell you if I won or lost. But I remember feeling stupid for saying that. (laughs) That would be like standing (laughs) next to your wife and asking her, do you think that girl's hot over there? You know, that other girl over there, you're standing with your wife. And like, no, nobody is prettier than you, sweetheart. Nobody is better looking than you. You are everything in a bag of chips. EK, I love that, man. That that was so That's the right answer if she said, do you think that girl is hotter than me? Yeah. But I found, you know, the best ways to be, uh, you know, if she's asking, she knows she's hot. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, exactly. Harry, I want to tap in. That's what I love about Eric. I love the I love the filler. I, I love the the you get the you get immersed in the moment with Eric in those stories. I love that. I I love that about him, Harry. I want you to share a, a story like that from your selling past because we've all got them where where we missed the mark. And Eric, thank you for being so transparent. A couple of those times where you missed the mark because I I know a lot of people that are listening to this podcast, and I posted about this on LinkedIn. There are times that we do dumb things as human beings. We make mistakes. It, it's how we bounce back. And, and I love what you said about moving on quickly. Harry, have you got a story like that that you want to share from your sales career where something didn't turn out quite right and, and how you bounced back from it and the encouragement you picked up from it? Yeah, I mean, I have a whole career full of that stuff. So you think about in sales <laughs> that you're doing great if you win you know, one out of every three. So of all the business I wrote, I probably lost, you know, two out of every, well, yeah, just using the numbers. I don't know how to say that, but it's double the number of losses versus wins. So yeah. And are there mistakes? Absolutely. But I have a very short memory. So like Eric, it's like, I don't beat myself up. I mean, there are some classic examples of people who I've just pulled the plug um, where I say, you know what, we're not going to do business together. And I've got up and left and I've gotten to call back a couple of times where people says, you know, what, I respected you for, uh, walking out on me when I was a jerk and ended up doing business. One of them became my top client for years. Um, so you, you know, it's the whole thing about, you know, you've got to do what's right. You've got to have some kind of, in my mind, it's not only pers- it's not only dignity for the selling, dignity for the people you're working with, and then for your own self. So, you know, when someone goes down a path and they're berating all salespeople, it's like, I'm sorry you feel that way, but I'm not that way. Yeah. And if they say, well, you're all alike, you know, you're probably lying to me right now. You know, that's when I got up and left and I said, you know what? I'm not, and I'm not going to defend myself. So find another salesperson and berate. So those types of things where we, you know, we can choose as well not to do business with someone. We don't always have to get kicked in the teeth. Sometimes we, you know, 
you know, we not not that we're kicking someone else's teeth, but we're looking at that opportunity and saying, I don't want it. If that person is like that, then you know, what are they going to be like post sale? Yeah. Right. And that can be a huge drag. Uh, one quick story comes to mind. I brought in one of those clients years and years ago. That was a real pain in the butt. Well, the guy ended up making the newspaper and the evening news. He went through this horrific divorce, burned his house down. I mean, the guy was a total disaster. Well, did he live in West Virginia? Because then no, he would he have collected the insurance yeah. money. Yeah, you know. I mean, it, it's, it was just he's holding his kids hostage. It was crazy. And I went, yeah, that's the guy. You're sure he doesn't? He didn't guy. live in I West Virginia. It. Are you positive yeah. this wasn't? This guy wasn't from West Virginia. No, definitely not. You're West describing Virginia, a but... typical day in West Virginia, Harry. I come mean, on, come West on, West Virginia is not like that. <laughs> West Virginia's got an awesome reputation. Look at for crying out loud, you came from West Virginia. Well, nothing it, but greatness. Yeah, you and Marshall and. Uh, it used to be like that before they planted the intentional encourager there. Yeah, you know, exactly right. Burning yeah, he, down houses, holding kids hostage. Yeah, EK knows what's up. I mean, that's the thing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I was thinking about going to burn some stuff down in West Virginia. Yeah, exactly. It would be an improvement. So, it I mean, burns, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry, Harry. We wrecked a beautiful story that you oh, had. That's good. That's all right. That was hilarious. I, I want to play role reversal real quick with you guys in the time we have left. Eric, I want you to tell me what you think your definition of selling with dignity is. That's a, that is a great question. And so the only thing I need to do right now is just describe Harry to you, you know, at this point, <laughs> selling with dignity. Um, so as written by the author, I think selling with dignity is putting your client first, no matter what, and putting yourself second and not worrying about money, but worrying about the value you're going to bring, not worrying about how much you're going to make, worrying about how much you're going to help them improve. Um, it's, it's people over everything else. Um, selling with dignity is being proud of of being a salesperson because that profession as a whole has gotten a bad rap, you know, like I talk to college kids. Now I was talking to one yesterday, last night, I met him in a gym and I asked him what he's doing. I said, well, I'm looking for a job. I said, well, what'd you go to school for? He just graduated. So what did you go to school for? He said, I went to school for healthcare management. I said, so are you applying? He's like, yeah, but everybody needs experience. I said, well, have you thought about sales? No, no, no. He actually said at first, he said, yeah, the only jobs I'm being offered are like these door-to-door -door sales jobs. I'm not doing that. I'm like, okay, I'm not. I told him, well, you know, uh, when I first got out of the military, I got into sales. I think it's it's a great, great first step, and it teaches a lot about business, but it's not for everyone. If that's not something you want to do, don't do it. I'm not going to change anybody's mind. But it's that wrap there, and I think selling with dignity is helping people understand that, that sales – people can be your business partners. They can be your consultants. And it's up to us to help people realize that as sales professionals. Yeah. How did I do Harry? Dude. I mean, you should write a book. That is freaking awesome. Okay. Uh, Harry. Notes and Adam in your book, according yeah. to Eric selling with dignity is. 
Brian, is this recorded? Oh, yeah, yeah, we, we yes, it's recorded for posterity. Yes. Harry, give me a couple of B2B sales secrets from your career. Oh my goodness. So the B2B sales secret, uh, first of all, the book is, it is so jam packed with stories, right? It's just like the one, you know, Eric walking into when he's brand new, walking into someone that has been using his product <coughs> for longer than Eric was alive. I remember that one. <laughs> Eric getting his butt kicked with questions and, you know, trying to, uh, and again, what a lot of salespeople do is they play along, they bluff, um, but there is, there is no hiding on that one. And then, you know, just to me, it's just bringing stale stories to life. And that's really the fun part about this business is that every day is a, an opportunity to help people. It's an opportunity to have a ton of laughs. There's an opportunity to look in the mirror and question yourself and say, am I doing the best I can? And then, uh, you know, as well, it's an opportunity to encourage others because you're going to call on people that are down and out. Um, you can be, you can be a force for good in your community in sales, right? You can leave knowing that you refresh someone and made their day better. Um, and that, that makes an impact on people. You know, someone who is a crab and has a couple of laughs with a salesperson, or they see some bright op moment of optimism can go home to their spouse with a totally different outlook or look at their kids with something totally different than what they were thinking prior. So all these little random acts of kindness that, you know, salespeople can generate uh, definitely can make an impact in the world. So uh, yeah, that's, that's what we get to do. It's a, it's a fun business. I love it guys real quick, share Eric, share your biggest piece of intentional encouragement with a salesperson out there. Just, you know, it, it doesn't matter where they are, up, down, sideways, whatever. What's your biggest piece of intent? And Harry, the same question for you. What, what's your guys' biggest piece of intentional encouragement? So right now I'm working on a course that's called Create Your Dream Future. And it's, it's almost done. And what I'm realizing for my life, at least, and actually seeing it in Harry's life, having a the opportunity to work with Harry over the last year plus as his partner in podcasting and just seeing at, at 59 through 60 years of age, how much growth he's had in this one 13, 14 month period. The, the intentional piece of encouragement that I would have for you guys is that your past does not have to determine your future. And Today, you can make a decision to start with a whiteboard that's blank and create whatever future you want. And I personally couldn't care less if you're 19 years old, 23, 38, 59, or 70. You're, the opportunities are a little more limited as you get up there in age. I get that. But, but you have you are fully resourced to create whatever it is you want. So if you just take the time to think through what you want, that's the first step. And that's what I'd encourage everybody to do. If you're feeling stuck, take a step back like that bow and arrow we talked about and write out what you want. That's great. Harry, your biggest piece of intentional encouragement. I would say, listen to what Eric just said. <laughs> I mean, you can't He's a wise man. That. 
right? You've got to just look at, you know, exactly what Eric just said and just say, am I, am I living my life to the full, whatever your sales, whatever your job is, you know, it doesn't mean you need to change careers, but live it to the full, be the best you can be. And, you know, it's like, uh, I look at people who are just, who are just unhappy with Mondays. And when you're unhappy one seventh of your life, you need to change something. Yeah. I mean, one seventh is like, can be 12 years, right? Why would you be unhappy for a 12 year period out of your life? I mean, people, you know, when they're unhappy, you, you made a change after three weeks. Yeah. Right? So what is it, you know, you got to look at if I'm not thrilled about Monday as one seventh of my life, there's a problem. I need to address it. Right. And Eric is, I mean, again, this kid, a uh, young man who's got all the wisdom in the world, uh, listen to him um, because, you know, you're, you're not too old to change. You got to, you, you can plan your life. And, you know, I listened, I spent some time with him and I said, you know, what? I'm going to do the same thing he does. And, you know, just set me on a different trajectory. This is why it's an honor to call you both friends. You guys have, have both been intentional encouragers personally to me with text messages and phone calls and, uh, man, I'm so glad we got to do this and, uh, got, please go check out the lead cell grow podcast. It's wherever you get podcasts, go get Eric's book, B2B sales secrets. Harry's book is coming out selling with dignity. It's coming out really soon. When it comes out, go get it. Uh, connect with these guys on LinkedIn, Twitter, where, wherever you are on social, connect with Eric Conovalov, K-O-N-O-V-A-L-O-V, and Harry Spate, S-P-A-I-G-H-D. Guys, from the bottom of my heart, thank you both for your friendship, and thank you for joining me on the Intentional Encourager podcast. Thanks for having us, B. Awesome. Thank God Zoom has our names written so you can spell them because I'm like, damn, is he going to get this right? Because you know what they say about those folks in West Virginia and spelling. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I, yeah, we, yeah. <laughs> I, we, we, listen, You're even good spellers. Reading, You're good spellers. Even reading it was a tad bit of a challenge. So I, I, I will not, you know, reading, you know, suspect. But You've impressed us. You've impressed us, B. <laughs> guys, thank you so much. I appreciate it. Thank, thank you for joining us on the Intentional Encourage Podcast. My thanks as always to producer Bryce Sexton and technical advisor Matt Means. And of course, the ultimate thanks goes to the Lord Jesus Christ, who provides intentional encouragement every day through his word. If you're not subscribed to the Intentional Encourager podcast, hit the subscribe button wherever you get podcasts so you don't miss an exciting episode where you can get encouraged and stay encouraged. And remember, anyone, anywhere, at any time, any place can be an intentional encourager.